2: Good evening, children of the night, and welcome to October. I'd like to apologize in advance. I've been a little under the weather for a few days now, so this week we're going to keep things pretty short on the front end. We've got a lot brewing for October, but I think I'll save that to share with you another night. I do, however, still want to give a shout out to the amazing patrons who've been so supportive and generous as to heed the call and keep this beast well fed. This week, we shine the spotlight on Kay Peacock, Jed Swaggard, and Matthew Nickel. Thank you so much for your support and encouragement. I couldn't be more proud or thankful to count you among us. We have one longer story for you this evening, which comes to us from Haley Piper. Haley Piper is the author of The Worm and His Kings, Queen of Teeth, Unfortunate Elements of My Anatomy, and other books of horror. A member of the Horror Writers Association, her short fiction appears in The Arcanist, Dark Matter Magazine, Year's Best Hardcore Horror, and elsewhere. Once hailing from the haunted woods of New York, she now lives with her wife in Maryland, where their research into the unknown is classified find haley at haleypiper.com or on twitter at haleypiper says children of the night join me for haley piper's an invitation to darkness first published in serial magazine number 3
3: to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about juvederm lip fillers,
0: I left ship in 1881 and never looked back. By then I was a captain with my own vessel and crew, and did well for myself as a woman in hiding. None suspected, or if they did, they kept it to themselves. No more. Ten years on that sea of sin was too many. There is wrong done in the world, objective wrong. That is worth No amount of gold. I couldn't wash that blood off my hands. My only remedy was to avoid wearing any more of it. My funds gave me freedom to settle down wherever I chose, and I chose to seek out a quiet corner of civilization, some balance between the law of rigid society and the lawless sea. This desire drew me to the lucre shores, where I discovered Leavenworth Manor. The carriage crested the hill, and there it was, a bleak yet grandiose chateau hidden on this gray coast, beyond a seaside village. It wore the fortress-like walls of a castle, its roof braced by towers that climbed skyward in toothy points. One tower had collapsed into disrepair, but superficial marring couldn't taint the manor's Forlorn Majesty. I had to have it. An eternal cloud hung across the lucre shores and cast a pall over the village. The land narrowed between two sandbars. At the end of the peninsula sat the manor. I foresaw the makings of a port town here. No Liverpool or Boston, but enough to improve the villagers' lives, repair the manor, and erect the watchful eye of a lighthouse on one of its wayward parapets. It was the boy Braxton Carter at the trading post who told me the name. I don't think anyone lives there anymore, he said. He was minding the store until his father, Adam Carter, returned from some errand. Perfect, I thought. Only a realtor to deal with and realtors loved clients who paid in cash. The shoreline closed in on the road from either side the farther I walked, until I reached the manor itself. Its stone walls ran slick with sea spray, each block larger than my entire body. It must have taken years to construct. Its doors stood less palatial, two red-brown planks of weathered wood that long ago needed to be replaced. They wouldn't budge when I tried to open them, and I thought they were locked before noticing the nails hammered into the wood. They fused the doors together in a grisly iron grin. You cannot enter that way. I turned, startled by the voice of a song. She caught me off guard. This young woman in her black skirts, her white walking jacket, the black locks of her hair flowing past her neck, around a face as lovely as it looked broken-hearted. Me?
4: I didn't mean to frighten
0: you, she said. Then in her eyes that had seen too many funerals and watched the stars die, or so it seemed to me, there was the slightest glint of bemusement. What woman alive could ignore a paradox that curious? I explained that I was fine, only perplexed by the doors and their nails, and asked her forgiveness. She gave more than forgiveness. She invited me to tea. But we'll have to go around the back. She led me in her skirts and sadness, closer to the sandbar and along the colossal breadth of her home. The back of the manor broke apart into many sections and balconies, and each faced the sea. Up a few small steps, there was a narrow, inconspicuous door into the manor's kitchen. Pardon my rudeness. I didn't introduce myself. Lady Elizabeth Leavenworth, daughter to Lord Reginald Leavenworth. Elizabeth lit her stove and began to boil water. I tried to stand as straight as I could.
4: Captain Jamie Thames. Captain? Former Captain, my apologies,
0: an old habit. I blame my rank for my poor manners, such as trying to barge into a house. I was told no one lived here. Elizabeth relaxed into a sigh. I suppose we do. We sat and sipped tea in one of the manor's sitting rooms. Its interior was an endless sprawl of tiny chambers, many interlinked broken up only by the vast main hall with its endless staircase that connected the first three floors. Elizabeth asked about my travels and what brought me to Lucre Shores. I gave her only the bare minimum of my time at sea, but explained in detail why I came to this desolate, secret place, a place I hoped to soon call my own. Her story fascinated me much more, though she thought it was nothing. There's little to say. I've lived in the manor my entire life, was born here, and will die here. My father's father began construction, and my father finished it. It doesn't stand against the elements as well as it might, but it keeps us. It's as you say, lucre shores is a quiet place, an outside kind
4: of place. That suits me fine. Father, too. We had finished our tea by then.
0: I didn't believe that was all of her story, any more than she should have believed it was all of mine. That melancholy in her face was not the result of wanderlust, but heartache. I was desperate for some way to spend more time with her. Is Lord Reginald home? Elizabeth hesitated. I suppose he is. Would you like to meet him? She led me through several chambers, up long stairs, to the highest floor in the centre of the manor. The corridor outside Lord Reginald's room lay in worse disrepair than any other part of the house, as if few ever set foot here. Someone had to, I knew, because of what Elizabeth told me next. Father has lain ill for many years, weakened and plagued by pains in his bones, frailty in his senses. A doctor comes by once a month to give him medicine, but I see that he has food and water. Most of the time, he rests, but he'll wake for a brief conversation. I decided to be more forward before we entered the Lord's room where questions might insult him. Where are your servants,
4: Lady Elizabeth? I sent them away. She didn't elaborate further. The Lord's room
0: smelled of death, not of decomposition or blood, but of impending doom. I sensed it at sea many times before tragedy struck. Beside the bed stood a thin candle, its flame too small to illuminate much of the room. In the bed lay a relic of a man, entombed in blankets and overgrown hair. I thought at first he must have passed away, when Elizabeth found me at the door. Then his eyes flashed open, two twinkling stars in this room's dismal night time, one alight with the angry haze of Betelgeis. They made him more alive than Elizabeth.
4: Who have you brought to me, Elizabeth? he asked. Father, this is Captain Jamie Tames.
0: Elizabeth leaned into a slight curtsy that made me hide a smile behind my hand. The captain has only arrived in the shores today and has been hunting for a place to settle down. An honor to meet you, Lord Reginald Leavenworth, I said. Reginald sat up a little, even seemed to grow across his bed's headboard in the dimly lit room. Settle, you say? A man of the sea in need of sorting his affairs. I'd be a poor host to turn you away. I invite you to stay in the manor a short while, Captain, you and your family. I felt the need to correct Reginald, though I didn't see how it would matter. I have no family. Me, by myself? I shouldn't be much of a bother. Reginald's hair seemed to curl. I assumed there was a smile hidden somewhere in that face. Then feel free to stay as long as you like, Captain. That's extremely generous, Lord Reginald. I graciously accept, on one condition, that you and your daughter... Call me Jamie, and not Captain. They accepted my terms. We chatted a bit, but soon Reginald was overcome with a coughing fit. I left so Elizabeth could tend to him, and because the room was stuffy and smelled of death. I walked the corridor that led to the room, observed the cracks in the wall and floor, some so deep that the plaster gave way to the innards of the manor's stone armor. What Leavenworth Manor needed was a woman's touch, not of a lord's daughter, but of responsible management. I could do wonders for this place, and these people. I chuckled while I was alone. In the room's darkness with his poor eyesight, I was not surprised that Lord Reginald mistook me for a man. I still wore the clothes and walked the walk, What surprised me was the incident with Elizabeth shortly after. She emerged from her father's room and said he was resting, before leading me back outside, where I could retrieve my luggage. On my return, she led me by candlelight through another series of halls and chambers to the guest hall, where I was to stay. I promised myself I would soon map and master the house's geography. The outer sections of the manor have windows. Elizabeth lit candles across my room. But most do not, so always carry a light with you. Otherwise, please, make yourself at home. Thank you, my lady. I set down my luggage and began to unbutton my coat. I'd been wearing it for years. It was time to set it down and slip into more comfortable attire. I had a robe somewhere, looser trousers and shirt, shoes instead of boots. Captain, why are you undressing in front of me? I turned to Elizabeth, my coat open, my undershirt's buttons half undone, my hair unfurled. Why wouldn't I? Elizabeth pursed her lips and watched my fingers work. Her eyes traced my very presence in that room.
4: You... you're a woman. Never had I guessed. Elizabeth thought me otherwise.
0: I took pains at sea to hide my sex, but on land I'd simply worn what occurred to me, and each person I passed took me as they chose. Elizabeth approached me, touched my barren cheek, my half-draped chest and then coiled her fingers around mine. Mine were rough hands with slender digits. There was another glint of bemusement in her eyes, and moments later it became something more. She kissed me. That bold, high-born lady. She kissed my fingers and then my lips, as if it was normal, as if in the depths of that house's chambers. Anything was possible. I kissed her in return. When our lips parted, I looked over her face for some change. I have never seen in a single moment an expression so filled with exuberant joy and terrible sadness.
4: You cannot stay here.
0: Elizabeth hurried out my bedroom door. Two weeks, and then... You must leave. That was unfortunate, I thought. We'd only met
4: two hours ago, and I was already in love with her.
0: Elizabeth insisted I spend those two weeks writing correspondence in search of other quarters. Instead, I spent them learning my way through Leavenworth Manor, and convincing Elizabeth to suffer my presence a little longer. I would not tell her I loved her. Not yet. Not until she was convinced. I rarely saw Lord Reginald. He appeared bedridden and slept most of the time. I visited in my coat and hat, presenting myself as a man if that pleased him, and offered to read him the paper or discuss some of the texts kept in his library. He had no interest in today's news, and had already thought out his own books. Eventually, I left him to his sleep. His seclusion meant I could dress as I pleased, in man's clothes, though not so much as would convince anyone who met me up close. Most of my time I attended to household maintenance. Elizabeth was not surprised that I was decent with my hands, and though time on steamers didn't exactly prepare me for mending walls, I grew into the role of the manor's caretaker. Elizabeth had to see I was indispensable. And she did. She grew more fond of me the more I helped her, walked with her, talked with her, and at times I saw her face alight with the sunshine, more so than the lucre shores themselves. And then her face would fall, worse than when I first met her, and she would withdraw. She wanted me to stay. Some unknown factor told her I couldn't. We sat on the gray beach one night near the end of two weeks. The waxing moon shined unobscured. In the lucre shores, the sun scarcely shined but the clouds gave deference to the brilliance of the moon as subjects might bow and part for the passing of royalty. The waves played with its reflection far as the eye could see. Even that couldn't tear my gaze from Elizabeth. It's in your power to make me stay.
4: I wish I could let you. She patted my arm. Your visit has been a blessing. But you must
0: leave before the full moon. What's the trouble,
4: my lady? A werewolf? My joke fell flat. If only it were that easy.
0: She would say no more. Her sentences merely patterns stitched into the enigma that was Elizabeth Leavenworth. Let me show you something. I left her on the sand and approached the water. Two nights earlier, I'd spotted a familiar splashing off the sandbar. And if I was right, it would be there again tonight. I knelt in the sand and dipped my face into the seawater. Jamie, don't! Elizabeth squealed. I bellowed a few notes under the water, hard as I could. The only time I'd seen this work was by the tiny man who taught me the trick off the coast of Iceland. But that night, when I needed a miracle, it worked. Several meters from the coast, the waves broke apart where a small pod of humpback whales visited the depths off of Lucre's shores to feed. Stunned laughter filled the air. I'd never heard Elizabeth laugh before and I thought maybe if I spent the rest of my life here, I might hear it again someday. They won't be here long, I said as I returned to her. Only a brief detour on their way to the West Indies. We sat again in the sand and watched them as they looked for me. After a time, they gave up and returned to their depths. Elizabeth not only
4: touched my arm, but clung to it. I asked if she loved me, and she grew quiet.
0: I told her I loved her, and she began to cry. Then I asked if she would marry me, and she said she wanted to, which was not a yes, but not a no. She led me from the beach to her bedroom. We fell asleep soon after. I awoke past midnight to the sound of footsteps. The guest hall dwelled in darkness, but the hall outside of Elizabeth's room shone with moonlight. I left her to investigate the nearby halls, where I found wet footprints pointed toward where I'd been. On my way back to her room, I heard voices within. Three women's voices crooned in unison. Sweet Elizabeth. Sweet mistake. You aren't allowed to be happy. It's impossible. There can be no happiness at Leavenworth Manor. Only broken
4: promises. It might be different, Elizabeth said. She is strong, but
0: if you love her, send her away. We will warn you again before the full moon. We will comfort your grief when it passes. Elizabeth began crying, and I couldn't stop myself. I burst through the doorway. The room was gloomy and a draft in the stone made the bed curtain sway. And I swear, I saw three women in flowing gowns standing around Elizabeth's bed. I turned to light a candle, but in that glance, they were gone. Elizabeth was still crying. I hurried to the bed and held her. It seemed only right not to immediately ask questions. I waited for morning. By then, she said she'd had a bad dream and couldn't remember it. When I checked outside her hallway, the wet footprints were gone. I had to ask again. But Elizabeth was obstinate. It was only a nightmare. I wasn't disheartened by her secrecy. I wished she trusted me enough to tell me what frightened her so. If I stayed, I would find out. It was only her words at breakfast the next morning that shocked me out of the night's terrors. Jamie, I'll marry you. I nearly dropped her plate before I could bring her the eggs I'd cooked. On one condition, she added. She made me promise to leave before the moonlight reached the height of its strength. I left, but not from fear. I left because she asked me to, and because I had a wedding to pay for. Lord Reginald was wealthy, but indisposed and ill. To take advantage of him, even for the betterment of his daughter, was not in my character. So. I left. Many fools find a woman they love and then set out to seek their fortunes. Most never return. Call me wise, call me clever, but I left the lucre shores not to seek my fortune, but to retrieve what I'd already sought and won. When I returned six weeks later, intent to never leave again, Elizabeth emerged to greet me more genuine glee on her face than I thought possible on these grey shores. It was not her beauty that ensnared me. It was her relief and joy to see me again. I could not have loved her more. With my fortune at Leavenworth Manor, I began a shopping manifest with Adam Carter to bring items I needed to the lucre shores. Lumber, stone, copper, rubber, and the great glass bulb of the future lighthouse. That may sound over-ambitious. I was no glory hound, but if I was to be the manor's caretaker, I would take care of it better than anyone before me. You can imagine my surprise when Adam said, "'This'll be a mite different from any other guest the lady has had to the shores. "'You'll put your mark, I'm sure.' Elizabeth hadn't mentioned other guests, and had no reason to. Wealth drew guests. It was Adam's tone that made me think of the apparitions from before I left. But I'd been gone for several weeks. Elizabeth and I were engaged. The last thing I wanted was to tear that apart, over what may have been a nightmare. Lord Reginald gave us his blessing though he would not attend the festivities. I signed our nuptials into law. Captains are permitted to wed themselves to other seafarers, and though Elizabeth had never set foot on a ship, she was a lady of the sea, here on the lucre shores. In my authority, she counted.
4: We were married that Sunday. Elizabeth and I had
0: a happy week of busying ourselves around the house and planning for the renovations. But underneath our joy, I came to a dark realization. There was someone else living in the manor. It was no matter of being convinced, so much as opening my eyes to the obvious. Elizabeth, Reginald, and myself should have been the only three souls present but there was at least a fourth, or more. Some nights I heard footsteps in the dark. I checked on Reginald to make sure he wasn't up and about, only to find him sound asleep. Truly, I didn't suspect him. It was the smell. I've always been sensitive to the particular scents of individuals, and this scent belonged to none of us. It smelled of death. Not impending doom, but damp, rotting death. Anyone could be hiding in the depths of Leavenworth's labyrinth. I could only think of those three women I had seen before I left. I traveled to the village one morning on pretense of checking shipments with the carters. In truth, I had to investigate. Adam wasn't inclined to tell me anything, so I changed the subject to my shopping. He promised that everything would arrive in the Lucre Shores in two weeks' time. Then he departed on some business, which gave me a chance to speak with young Braxton. At first, he didn't feel comfortable speaking of Elizabeth's business, but a gold coin loosened his lips. The past five years or so? I think there were friends who'd call on the lady, Braxton said while polishing his father's shoes. They spent a time at the manor and then left all of a sudden. How many? I
4: asked. Braxton counted on his fingers. Three. And you saw them leave? I'm not sure. The little swindler...
0: I paid him another coin. I saw the carriages take their luggage, but I never saw the missus with my own eyes. Suppose they was in the carriages. I suppose they were. Elizabeth and I had a habit of walking the shores together, sometimes on the hunt for another pot of whales for me to enchant. Other times, I walked the shores alone. There were places where, in low tide, the beach revealed slabs of stone, much like the grand walls of Leavenworth Manor. I came to believe there was an impressive subterranean layer to what Reginald's father began, stretched beyond the safety of firm land and into the unsteady sandbars. Another week passed before I found the door. Door may be generous, having neither knob nor hinges. It was an oblong stone slab that protruded only slightly from the sand, and then only when the tide was lowest. To pry it from its passage would expose what lay inside to the world, but I had a feeling someone had opened it plenty of times in the past. I found it surprisingly light. So light that even Elizabeth could manage it, and she was not the strong woman that I was from years at sea a black low-ceilinged corridor stretched before me. While the sand floor was damp, the walls showed a low water line, and I expected that the stone door fit well enough to keep the sea at bay, so long as it remained closed when the tide came in. It was smarter not to investigate when someone could easily plug such a door behind me, so I carried it at my side. Its burden meant little when one I found at the end of the gloomy corridor turned my spine to ice. If the hall once led up into the house, it had been walled off from the inside long ago. At the end, an ancient underground lake lay beneath Leavenworth Manor. I knelt on its shore with trembling knees, trembling because I'd made a horrid discovery. Horrid for what it was. Horrid for what it could mean for my marriage. Small graves lay on the rim of the lake, as if for newborns. I counted over a dozen small, nameless stones, their surfaces eroded to different degrees. One grave appeared fresh, perhaps only two months back. I don't know how long I knelt there. The sea splash at the doorway told me it was time to leave. I took the stone back to the entrance and sealed it all behind me, as if I could forget. I regretted my curiosity. I regretted my tenacity. Later, I regretted I hadn't brought a light down with me. I would have discovered more. Supper was quiet and sullen that evening, as if Elizabeth knew what I'd found and was only waiting for me to admit it. Maybe I was waiting for her to admit it first. Instead, we ate in silence. Our bed felt broken that night. A fissure groaned between us. I rolled over
4: and held her close to me. Who are they? She was quiet. The children. If I tell you, you must promise to leave
0: before the next full moon, she said. And come back only after the three days. Promise, and I'll tell you. I'll promise no such thing, Elizabeth. We're married. Three nights isn't much to ask. She covered her face with her hands. They died inside me. They deserved some little dignity. Nameless and buried in watery graves. I couldn't call that dignity, but I had seen worse. I asked no more questions that night and held her until she fell asleep. It would serve me no good to poke and prod when all I had to do was await the full moon and see for myself what nightmares filled Elizabeth with fear. In the days that remained, I noted the structure of the manor. Likely there were more corridors below, but their doors might have been lost forever, or accessible only from inside. My imagination went wild those nights. Children's bodies, secret pregnancies and miscarriages, the tide over
4: a doorway, and the moon. The moon would tell all. I only needed patience.
0: Patience and my sword and sidearm. They were pieces of luggage I didn't show to Elizabeth, but she must have assumed a captain would have them. I heard footsteps in the dark several midnights before the full moon's evenings were to begin. At first, I hunted for the source. At the last... I awaited them in Elizabeth's bed. You must send her away, they told my wife, before it's too late. She won't listen, Elizabeth said, not knowing I lay awake with my eyes shut beside her.
4: She's stubborn and brave. Stubborn and dead the women said.
0: She will not see the light before it darkens her forever.
4: Then they were gone. Elizabeth spent the day fretting and
0: pacing. I read a book from Reginald's library, walked the grounds, cleaned my pistol, and found myself oddly patient. Were I a man... Perhaps I would have believed that this was some madness that possessed Elizabeth. A symptom of loneliness, even. But loneliness could not explain Elizabeth's miscarriages, nor the rage that haunted her. I waited for nightfall in the manor's main hall, upon the stairs with sword and gun. Like a fool, I suspected those same women would come for me from secret depths in the house. But what ghosts could travel through those nailed-shut doors? But then, what gun and sword could fight the dead? The day had left me more anxious and exhausted than I realized. I dozed off on those steps before the sun dipped below the horizon. It was Elizabeth's shriek that ripped me from sleep. The shriek echoed through the manor stone, but I heard its direction clearly even in the bleary stupor of just waking. I darted up the stairs, through chambers and corridors, aimed at our bedroom. Never underestimate the speed of a woman whose lady is in danger. I didn't slow down, even when the other voice grabbed my heart and squeezed.
4: It was a flat, deep note, as if it came from the earth itself. Where? Is he? I don't know, Elizabeth shouted. Was promised.
0: I heard a heavy crash and emerged in the hallway outside Elizabeth's bedroom. Elizabeth lay on the floor, her evening gown ripped on one side. Her eyes met mine in the dismal light cast by my candelabra. Run! She said, Hide,
4: he's looking for you.
0: I told Elizabeth to lock her doors and that I would be back for her. She shouted again for me to run, hide, flee the manor, but I couldn't abandon her, not to this. I didn't even think to ask who was loose in the manor. My next destination was Lord Reginald's room to check on his well-being, but I didn't make it. I ran through one set of chambers after another, guided only by candlelight. In one door, out another, and there, in a dark nook of the manor, lurked what Elizabeth feared. There was a man's muscle and sinew, but that smell was no man. It hunkered in the shadows at first, as if to ambush me, but I drew my pistol Red eyes reflected
4: the candlelight. A woman, it asked in its sunken tone. I am, I said. Are you surprised? Was no woman meant to be not this time. And who told you that? Her, Elizabeth. The man-shape made a wet sound, as if sucking at its gums. Who are you? Her wife. Who the devil are you? Her husband. He sprang at me.
0: I didn't expect him to rise so tall, so fast, and swing so strong. I saw his face in the flash of a gunshot. There was no skin, only muscle coiled like pulled pork, his teeth a travesty of blunt white headstones in a mouth that looked not dissimilar from his outsides. I shot him. I know I did. He wasn't bothered by it and batted me back through the doorway. I scurried lost my gun, lost my candlelight, into the darkness of the house. That he didn't snatch me up right away told me he'd made a mistake when he'd hit me so hard. He knew the house, but his eyes worked like any human. He needed light to see. I held still against a dresser and let him rush past me. Doors banged and furniture crashed deeper inside the house. When he'd put enough distance between us, I snatched up my useless pistol, relit the candles, and followed. The pistol went to my holster and I drew my saber. If bullets didn't bother him, we'd see how much he enjoyed losing a limb. We were each hunter and hunted. I waited for him in Elizabeth's hall, but he never came. Then I stalked the first floor the back, certain he had escaped, only to hear glass smash above and realize he was still after me.
4: Woman, he said through the broken window, was promised. Different.
0: I confess, knowing Elizabeth was safe, there were times I hid. While I could pretend those were moments where I meant to ambush him, in truth I couldn't hear him in the house and knew he meant to ambush me. I was afraid to walk into a trap, afraid to come upon that face unprepared, to inhale the sickly odor that breathed off his tissue. After a time, I would find my courage and pursue him once more. It was not until near daybreak that I caught up with him in the worst of places, the beaten passage outside Lord Reginald's room. It had to be past four in the morning, and I had little energy to spare, but when I spotted the mangled man of meat and bone, I caught my second wind and lunged. My saber slashed into his right arm. He didn't stop, but I could tell I'd harmed him. I would do more. I followed close, ready to thrust the blade through his heart. Elizabeth screamed.
4: I froze. Husband glanced over his shoulder. Faithful. Wife. Then he hobbled into Lord Reginald's room.
0: I approached the doorway in time to learn everything I needed to know. And yet if only I'd hesitated so that vision could not haunt me. Reginald lay upon his bed, almost exactly where he lay when we first met, but not in the way we first met. His flesh was pried open down his abdomen, the ribs spread wide, the guts thrust out like a lolling tongue. He had been parted like a door, and as husband crawled inside, he closed Reginald, closing that door behind him. Somehow, he fit inside that vast form of flesh and hair, and Lord Reginald awoke with a start, his body made whole again. When he looked at me, I thought for a moment that his eyes matched. Then he blinked, and one eye flared. Once more, the red eye of Orion in the sky. Captain, he said, You are no man. A fresh bruise swelled the left side of my face, but I tried to smile. I never said I was, my lord.
4: That is disappointing.
0: Reginald settled back into his pillows. He was soon asleep once more, as if dead. Somewhere inside him, I sensed husband stir. The moonlight waned and I couldn't tell at first how it crept into the dark, windowless room, but a slanted hole in the ceiling gave way to the night sky. The opening faced the tallest tower of Leavenworth Manor, where glass twinkled at the coming dawn. In the full moon, I estimated it would cast brilliant moonlight down upon Reginald's bed, like a guiding torch. And what did it guide to his bed? From where? Elizabeth took me by the shoulder and arm and led me down to the kitchen, where she could press a slab of raw meat to my cheek. The sight reminded me too much of husband's face, but I bore it. We sat
4: at the table. I stared at her above my swollen cheek. Why did you stop me? He's... all that keeps father alive.
0: Elizabeth said. And father's all the family I have left. I wouldn't chide her by saying I was her family. As someone who lost her own blood long ago, I understood. Still, I could not let this
4: nightmare continue. Those children below the manor? I asked. He comes to the manor by
0: the full moon. The first full moon after I came of age.
4: We were wet. He lay with me, but I couldn't keep him. I didn't want his seed.
0: Flesh begotten by flesh. The will behind the flesh was this inhuman creature. But the flesh itself was familiar to her. Too familiar. I asked her no more. We returned to our bedroom. As a gesture of goodwill toward my own body, I let myself have a few hours to sleep until it was late enough past dawn that I could see to this. I left Elizabeth to sleep as much as she could. She had suffered enough already. First I went below the manor, The stone door in the sand had not been entirely uncovered by the receding tide. But now that I knew where it was, I had no trouble finding it. Opening it was harder. Even partially exposed, the sea weighted it down. I managed to pry it open again and let some tide water spill in after me. This time, I brought a torch to guide me to the graves. No names on the stones, true but their ages were apparent by erosion. I picked out what seemed to be oldest. It had a mark chiseled on it. Perhaps Elizabeth believed then that one miscarriage would be the end of a one-time horror, and not the start of five hellish years since she came of age. This would be the last. I began to dig up what I'd come here for, and to ponder. Five years. Five years was the time that the Carter boy gave for Elizabeth's friends to come and go. Carriages of luggage went, but no women to be seen. I lifted the torch high and stepped around the little ones' graves, up to the edge of the subterranean lake. What I feared at the water's edge, just beneath the surface. Mournful faces stared up their eyes helpless, and a wedding ring on the finger of each one's left hand. The law could bend in these corners outside civilization, and when pressed by the wealthy. That is why I came here. This manor and its people understood, too. These girls, as well, who had donned each a golden ring months, perhaps years apart. The Brides of Elizabeth Leavenworth. I knelt beside the water. You came to her bedchamber each night. Why didn't you warn me? We
4: could no more warn you than each other, they said
0: together. The water did not obscure their speech. The moonlight draws us and he presses us here.
4: The moonlight draws him, too. From where? Beyond. And from that beyond to Lord Reginald. For now.
0: I felt my swollen cheek all the more sharply in that damp place. It gave me understanding. My invitation to stay wasn't for Elizabeth's benefit. It was for husband. He grows restless inside the Lord, inside the manor, the doors nailed shut, the servant's entrance an offense to his lordship. Have you seen him? He has spent the strength of Lord Reginald. He hoped for Elizabeth to bring a husband a new doorway by moonlight. I reached into the water and offered my hand to the wraiths below, gently touched their fingers and rings. But poor Reginald and poor husband. She has no interest in men. Flee, as we've failed to do. Flee, or she'll lose you, Jamie. You're worthless to him now that he knows the truth. He will paint the manor red with your insides by moonlight. They knew better than anyone. They'd lived through it. I would have liked to take their advice. On the one hand, it was my desire to obey my bride's wishes. On the other hand, sweet Elizabeth had mistaken herself to have married a coward and a quitter. She would soon discover her error, that she married a woman who neither cows nor quits, especially not to husband. We had both sworn an oath to stay with Elizabeth until death did us part.
4: I would see him parted from her first. I hired the Carters again for perhaps the most difficult task. Everything I ordered
0: had come into town, but none of it was ready for use. Unfortunately, I didn't have a choice. We slung hooks and ropes from the roof of Leavenworth Manor, down to the ground level, harnessed my package, bound in sheets, and hauled it up to the roof. It took an hour, and our bodies were sore by the time the task was done. "'I admire your ambition,' Adam Carter said, awash with sweat. But I can't say I understand the haste. There's no lighthouse and no ships. No one from afar is coming to port in the shores. There will be one tonight. And after that night, no more. I saw a future where Elizabeth and I would grow old together and watch the gray coast remain eternal. Outsiders might presume we were two sad spinsters and could never guess that in this house bursts a love that might bring the sunshine to lucre shores. But only if we had the will to fight for that future and win. I carried the rope and hooks to the bottom of the manor and fastened them where I needed. Then I rested again, well before dusk, so I would not fall asleep this time. The roof needed my attention. Elizabeth and I crossed paths in the hallway. She dressed in black, as if for a funeral. I don't blame your lack of faith, not with what you've survived, I said to her. But on the other end of this night, we'll still be together. She didn't argue. I didn't press the point. We would reunite on the far side of darkness. I brought a bundle to the rooftop with me, secret from Elizabeth, and unwrapped it with gentle hands. Then I cut loose the sheets from the lighthouse glass. Adam Carter and I had positioned it in the right place, I hoped. The wait for the moonlight was shorter than I would have liked. All my plans were set in place. Don't call me brave, for my nerves weren't ready to face the creature again in any form. If he was angered last night to find me a woman, he would be furious when he realized what I had done to him tonight. I watched the moon. Its light grew stronger as the clouds darkened by sunset, until at last it reflected in the glass of the manor's tallest tower. I'd never seen moonlight so bright and focused. The beam of light meant for Lord Reginald's chamber struck the glass hauled up for the eventual lighthouse. My calculations were right. The light reflected through the glass, away from Reginald's ceiling, and into the bundle I'd unfolded. The bundle that contained what I'd dug up from beneath the manor. It was little more than a skeleton now but had some small manner of flesh, and that was all husband needed to emerge. The chest peeled apart, the bones cracked, and he climbed through a doorway he did not expect. In the pale moonlight, I could see him better. I could almost stand this visage of him. He stood stunted, shriveled, The meaty texture he donned last night gave way to lengthy bones and a sunken skull face, broken by two flaring eyes.
4: What have you done to me?
0: The flesh of the son you gave Elizabeth. I drew my sword. I've returned him to you. Husband was weaker, I could tell, but even then... I realized a flaw in my plan. He realized it too. He had too little flesh for my sword to pierce. What will slay me? Wife. He lumbered toward me and I hurried down the steps. It had been my intent to force him where I wanted him to go with a blade to a weakened throat. Now I would have to lead and hope he didn't catch up. He was quick and strong, but not so much as last night. I had the advantage. Then I heard Elizabeth scream, and it tore at my senses. I turned to find husband no longer chasing me through the chambers of Leavenworth Manor. He had gone looking for my wife. I had to find her first. Scream again, Elizabeth, I shouted through the house. Help me find you. Her screams might have led husband to her. My shouting could have led him after me again. If you question my senses at that moment, then you've never been in love. Jamie! I charged for her, found her in father's hallway, and embraced her. Then I spotted the reason she had screamed. You foolish wench! Reginald shrieked. He lay toppled in his doorway, tangled in his bedsheets and hair. His nails had grown into curling talons on his hands and feet. He broke two of them as he clawed the wall. Why am I not among the stars in his place? He dwells for eons, and they were mine in his time here. You've taken the heavens from me. You've taken everything. He collapsed in a heaving, dying mess. Elizabeth ran to him and cradled his head in her lap. I had seen his like before, across the world. Opium addicts who would cut off their fingers to satiate their addiction. Reginald was addicted to something much stronger and stranger than poppy seeds. I wanted to reassure Elizabeth, but there wasn't time. Did you see, husband? Where did he go? Elizabeth glared at me. I had never seen her angry before. It was as refreshing as it was fearsome. Bounding down the stairs, she said. When he finds the kitchen, he'll go out the back door like he never would in father's flesh. You set him free. I chased down the stairs, through the chambers until I myself was out the kitchen door. All those children, the sons that would never be. In time, one of them grown would have become the new doorway. The presence of a new man in the house, a captain of the sea, was only a matter of desperation. Husband was weak, but I'd given him some form of what he wanted when I thought I'd outsmarted him and the failure to outsmart him again could only get worse. If the hours he spent in flesh were eons for Reginald and the beyond, then husband's time between full moons meant eons as well. I could think quick, but I could not outthink that span of time. This had to end tonight. I came around the corner of the house, to where only a thin strip of firm land separated the manor walls from the beach. Husband lumbered in the moonlight. He seemed in no hurry, but more likely he couldn't step any faster. I approached him.
4: What will you do? The night won't last forever. I will return to my son. His skull turned to me. But first, I will make new sun.
0: I eyed the village. They weren't prepared to face this monstrosity. Neither was I. But this was my fault. I had to undo it before it couldn't be undone. My only thought was to pretend I misunderstood him. My eyes turned downward to my womb that had never been filled. Then I looked up at him with wide eyes. He took the bait and turned to chase me. He seemed faster now that he was headed towards me instead of away. I let him follow where I wanted to go. Down the beach. Down to a stone door. I had tied ropes around it earlier in the day, and now that the tide was in, I would need them to haul the door from the bottom. It was a near-impossible task, but I managed to draw the stone back. Then I dove into the surf, into the doorway, and hoped my estimate of the space inside was right. Water rushed into the opening and carried me with it, but the corridor would take time to fill. I marched through the climbing tide, let the sand suck up my boots. The moonlight dimmed as husband filled the doorway behind me. A dead end. The water did nothing to slow him. He let it sift through his bones. I fought to keep my head above the water. Wait. You don't need more suns yet. Let me be, and I'll show you where to find the
4: rest of them. Show first. Then you be free.
0: His eyes, like dying stars, would soon be the only light in the corridor, once it filled with water. I swam toward the end where the subterranean lake now met the sea. Below, she buried them here, beneath the stone. Husband looked down. Then he glared at me. Thank
4: you. And now, I'll have... One more. He reached for me,
0: his arm nothing more than bone and sinew. I swam back over the lake and dove into the water. There was little time to draw breath, less time to keep it. I had to get around him, surface once more, and close the door behind him, never to reopen. He followed me. I could feel him at my heels. He brushed one ankle, the lake was deep enough for me to evade him. Air was the trouble. Breath. Light. I couldn't see where I was going, and up and down were lost in the water. Bony fingers grasped my legs. Other fingers combed my body, using me as a path to husband. He released my ankles just enough for me to slip free and clamor for the surface. I gasped at the air and swam back from the lake, kicking as hard as I could in case he
4: grabbed me again. There was no need. Husband was the one grabbed. Frail,
0: wraith-like arms wrapped around him. Six of them. Their fingers dug into what little flesh he had. Their ribs entwined with his. Their arms slipped through his chest. Legs through his hips a net of decomposing women to catch the man's shape that was not a man.
4: The brides had husband caught. Leave us, they said. Commit to your plan. Never open this door again. You'll hold him? I asked. Forever? He will die. We will will rest. Away, Jamie, or
0: Elizabeth will mourn your drowned corpse. I swam hard as my life depended on it while the brides wrapped themselves tighter around husband. The light was gone, but as the corridor was a straight shot, I couldn't lose my way. It was only before I ducked my head under that I heard husband for the last time.
4: My presence dies, I live forever, see you, wife.
0: The water met the roof of the corridor. I dove to the doorway, through it, and swam up until I broke the surface. My body was ready to give out, but there was no time. I dragged myself onto the shore and pulled the ropes once more. The door fell, sealing in place beneath the seawater. Then I cut the ropes. Could I? I would have waited all night to be sure husband didn't pry himself loose in surface. I had to have faith in my own knowledge. He wasn't strong enough to escape the brides and push open that door now that the sea bore itself down on it. I knew that old sea intimately. She was not to be
4: trifled with.
0: Elizabeth needed me. I hauled myself up and returned to the manor, up to the Lord's bedroom. She remained where I'd left her. Reginald, too.
4: Her choice of dress had been entirely appropriate. We buried Lord Reginald Leavenworth outside of the estate in the Lucre Shore
0: Cemetery. The entire village turned out for his funeral. He was not a lord they knew well, but he was their lord, at least in name. I waited for husband the following night to emerge from the sea, or perhaps Reginald's grave. There was no manifestation. Every soul on the peninsula "'suffered a ghastly headache under the moonlight, "'as if there was someone who banged on the door of Lucas Shores "'and demanded to be let in. "'When dawn came, the banging ended. "'Elizabeth refused to speak to me for the next month. "'I'll spare you the details of reconciliation, "'the many gifts and apologies I offered, "'the one-sided conversations. "'She forgave my decisions when the next full moon came. No brides dredged themselves up from the bottom of the manor to warn her. No husband descended through the moonlight to emerge from her father's chest. She was free. We began renovations in earnest after that. First, we knocked down many of the walls within the manor and turned its inside into that of a large house with sensible rooms and hallways. I'm sure secrets remain in its depths, but I wouldn't send the laborers down there. The tallest tower was converted to a lighthouse, and soon our wealth became the village's wealth, as Lucre's shores grew into a bustling port town. Every night I joined Elizabeth in our bed, and every morning we watched the tide and ships before our work began. I had the future with her that I dreamed with one caveat. It is my one secret in all this. Husband is gone. The stone door remained sealed, and I've had chunks of broken walls from within the manor dumped into the sea on that very spot, out of superstition. He will not crawl from that place, ever. Still, I feel the trail of moonlight some nights. The trail he walked to find his flesh. Though his form lay dead and buried beneath Leavenworth Manor, he remains. Many nights I've stood on the balcony we built across the hall of mine in Elizabeth's bedroom and stared up at the stars, at the space between them. And on those nights, I wonder if he can see us from where he dwells
2: That was Haley Piper's An Invitation to Darkness, as read by Heather Thomas. Heather Thomas is a jewelry expert by day and master of none by night, dabbling in costuming, art, music, writing, and narration. She is a lifelong fan of all things horror and enjoys reading stories and novels to her friends and family when they let her. She lives in Denver, Colorado, with her husband and her spoiled rotten cat, Oni. Thank you, Heather. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, a.k.a. Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show To help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we feed the beast with more Tales to Terrify.